wasn't yoga teacher training at the time. It was an immersion and that I was like, yes, that's what I want. I want to sink into yoga and just do as much of it as I can. And then there was just this sort of path that people kept following. They're like, okay, are you doing teacher training? And I'm like, no, I don't want to do teacher training. I just like doing yoga. I want to do a whole lot of yoga. Can you please introduce yourself and what you do professionally? Sure. Uh, my name is Tanya Whitman and professionally I do a hodgepodge of things that all involve um, wellness. So I do massage and I teach yoga and I do counseling and I, I kind of do full life work with people um, that can involve anything from, you know, working on their relationships to working on pursuing their life goals to changing up their nutrition, fixing physical issues, energy issues, you know, all kinds of stuff. It's a, it's a big grab bag. <laughs> so you, you do a range of things. Do you know these days, like what piece gets what percentage of your time? Have you tracked that? I would say at the moment, um, it's probably about 60% massage, 20% yoga, 20% other. <laughs> Yeah. Got it. A range of stuff. Cool. Cool. Um, yeah. When I met you, you were doing massage and yoga primarily. I know you were in grad school learning more. So um, you're clearly not someone who is content just doing one thing because there's so many things to do in the world. Why would you limit yourself to just to just one option? Um, what got you interested in going down this path? It was kind of a it was a, a moment of sorts. When I was in, um, I was living in New York at the time and had left college after my freshman year because I didn't like it and uh, sat talking to myself about, okay, here you are in New York working at a coffee shop. Like, what do you like? What is interesting to you in the world? And what do you think you would like to do? And I really literally was staring at a wall. And I think I've told you this story before, but nonetheless, um, I love it. It's, it's pivotal. And I'm sitting there staring at a wall and I hear this, like it's after several minutes of silence. And I heard this kind of deep muddy voice come up from inside me very gravelly and just be like, help people. <laughs> Like it had never been used, a voice that had never been used. And I was also kind of surprised at the answer because that really wasn't my life prior to that point. I was very much a, you know, success, personal achievement based person up until that point. So I was pretty surprised to find out that I wanted to help people. Um, but that was kind of the start. And then it was like, okay, what are all the different kinds of ways you can help people? And which ones were, was I interested in and which ones wasn't I interested in, um, particularly the ones that, you know, involved a lot of uh, pre-work in order to be able to do the work. I didn't want to do 10 years of education to be able to finally, finally do the thing that I wanted to do. Like I wanted to do it as soon as possible. So, you know, a few avenues were cut short and then the rest you know, just kind of zeroed in on quickest way to get to what I wanted. <laughs> gotcha. What, what age or time frame in your life was this I that you had this real realization? 1920. 19, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was just after freshman year of college. So I would have been, yeah, 19 or 20. 
And I doubt someone that has zero empathy or care for others would wake up one day with this voice in their head telling them to help others. Had you always like describe your personality or what mattered you as a kid? Like, was there a natural link to helping people professionally? Like, how would you describe that? I, I mean, I think that the people that know me would probably say that that was the case, but I certainly didn't see myself that way. I saw myself as somebody who just really liked to read mostly spend time by myself, read, um, and, and I was an only child, so I spent a lot of time thinking about myself. You know, that's pretty much, it was the Tanya channel, 100% of the time. You know, what makes me happy? What do I want? What don't I want? And, uh, and, and achievement, as I said, I mean, my family was New England-based, so very, you know, about work hard, achieve things, you know, be, do good be, be good, be valuable, be successful. That was primarily the messaging. So that was the plan. That was the road I was on. And, uh, yeah, I, I really, I mean, again, my friends, my, my mom, my family would probably say that I was a helpful person that I liked to do things for people, but I don't actually think it came naturally to me. I think I watched other people's response to things and I noticed that people liked it when you did stuff for them. <laughs> so I guess I kind of learned that way. Like, oh, you know, do things for people. Makes them happy. <laughs> it, it's so simple, but I get what you're saying. I also suspect individuals are notoriously bad at gauging their own strengths. Like we don't know the limits of what we're actually good at. So we're going to try to do things we think we're told we should do or that sound successful on paper. So the more conversations I have like this, I'm really curious to see if people were able to identify their own skills or they had moments where someone actually was like, no, you're, you're pretty good at that. And then it clicked and opened up something. I'm really curious to see like, once I talk to more people, how they would respond to that as well. Well, and it's interesting. Cause I, I, again, I can't remember if I told you this story either, but when I was a junior in high school, I went to this kind of like a semester long program where we lived in the woods and, um, milked cows and, you know, did, did farmy woodsy things and also were in school at the same time. And I didn't feel at all like I belonged in the group of people that I was with because most of them were um, prep school people and, you know, folks that were used to not living at home while they were at school and stuff like that. And, uh, and so I didn't really feel like they knew me or that they saw me very well. But at the end of that semester, when we did a little yearbook, they would do this thing about who are you, you know, who is this person going to be 10 years down the road? And they wrote a professionally singing massage therapist. And I was like, I actually do both of those things. <laughs> and it was weird that they could they could see that. You know, I mean, the singing part wasn't all that hard to see. I, I sang pretty regularly and like, oh, yeah, she does that. And also, I mean, when I was there, I would just give people little massages just because, you know, you do nice things for people. That's what you do. Um, so there were there were, there there were hints. hints. There were clear there hints. Were hints. I just didn't see them because they weren't on the path that I thought I was. You know, I assumed I was going to be an academic. I assumed I was going to be a professor like that was the life I imagined for myself. So that stuff was just you know, side stuff. <laughs> when's, when's the first time someone planted the idea in your head that you could give massages professionally? Professionally? 
gosh. I mean, it was probably around then, to be honest, when I was in high school. Yeah. I mean, again, it was just a thing that I did because people liked it. And um, I think I remember people offering to pay me, as I recall. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 no. That felt weird. And I mean, I was like 17. Like, that's just weird. So, but yeah, I think probably around then. And I guess it was a back pocket idea, but never one that I really, it didn't come across the headlines of my mind on a regular basis. It was more after getting fired from a bunch of jobs that I realized I can't do this anymore. I should do the thing that I like, the thing that I'm good at, you know? I mean, really, I do think there's something valuable about sit down with yourself and ask yourself what you like, period. Just what do you like? Even if it's like, I like hanging out with my friends. Okay. You know, and if that's what part of your job can be, figuring out a way to hang out with the people that you like, cool. <laughs> you know, again, what do I like? What am I, I mean, you know, you've seen that little diagram, the like, what am I, what am I good at? What do I love? And what does the world need? You know, and the intersection of those three is whatever's in there is a good place to start. <laughs> totally. It, it, it takes time to figure it out. And ultimately if this project is successful, it helps reduce the time it takes for people to figure that out and hopefully save some money from getting degrees they don't need or actually care about or certifications that aren't actually a good fit for their skill set. So the emotional um, pain, you know, the emotional pain of feeling like you don't belong or feeling like there's nothing out there for you or that you aren't good enough at something or, you know, or a failure. I mean, that I think, because even as you're talking about that, you know, saving time, saving money, getting certifications and all that, I agree. And I also think that what we get in that process has value usually, even if it's, you know, like, it's like, wow, I found out that I can spend an entire year dedicated to something, you know, and get this certification. And the way I thought I was going to feel after I got it, I don't feel that way. Huh. Who would have known? Because <laughs> I have a lot of contemporary friends, or meaning my, friends that are my contemporaries, who just certification after certification is just like constant. There's always another thing. And I mean, I'm a little bit that way, but I usually integrate for a while. You know, I like learn something and then I use it and I fit it all into myself. And then when I'm ready, I go back out. But when I see people doing that, I, I generally imagine... Do you like, do you see that you have value? You know, you do. You're valuable enough. I mean, if you're super into this thing that you're getting a certification about, friggin' go for it. But like somebody came up with that at some point, a person, you know, they were like, oh, here's a thing. You could be that person. You could be the person that might already even know the very thing that the person is trying to give you a certification in, you know? And it's okay to own that. And it's okay to like bring that forth into the world. I mean, maybe not with a, you know, TM next to it or a, you know, I am an official whatever practitioner if you haven't gotten the official training, but it doesn't mean you can't, you know, use the same principles and everything. These things didn't just drop out of the sky. <laughs> Can you speak to some of the jobs you worked or what didn't work totally. out? I'm, I was thinking totally. about failure yes. as you were talking about that. So like, like what, what have you failed at that got you to a place mm. where you I, were then better yes. off for being able to I do what you want every then? every single corporate job, man. I hated all of them and I tried to care and I tried to be good and I could be for a little while, but then ultimately my, 
lack of interest and um, the kind of personality that I have that doesn't do well in a box. Just, you know, and, and I like, I mean, the concept of failure is so interesting because it's, it's like one of two things. It's either, yes, failure exists, but it's not as bad as we think it is, which I like, or there really is no such thing as failure. There's just experience, <laughs> you know? So from a very particular, like scientific perspective, you could say, I tried this thing, it failed. You know, I, I did this little experiment, it failed to achieve the thing that I wanted it to achieve. Sure, we can go ahead and give failure a definition like that. But when it comes to, you know, I failed to have a career in the corporate world that lasted longer than two years. I could say that, or I could say after two years being in this corporate job, I realized this is not the place for me. Do I consider that a failure just because I got fired from it? No, they just saw it sooner than I did. That's all. But it took a while, you know? <laughs> It sounds like a tremendous learning opportunity, but at the time it, it might've been devastating. You're like, here's a thing I tried and fail that, which means mm -hmm. I'm going to fail at the next thing. I'm not cut out to mm -hmm. do this. Like, what am I going to do next? So in the moment I imagine it's yeah. pretty debilitating, but looking back, it was like probably Honestly, the best thing they could have done for you. Just about the very best thing. And, and there were so many great things about it. I mean, <laughs> you know, opportunities for me to like speak my truth and opportunities for me to learn how to handle somebody saying, you know, you are not, you are not essentially, I mean, in a way you are not good enough. Yes. But also just, you are not the right fit here. And me being like, you know, my ego needed some work there because it was like, I can do anything. What do you mean? What are you saying? I know I'm awesome. I know I'm special. I know I'm super good. Apparently not, not in this situation. <laughs> You know, so getting through that experience was, yeah, it was super painful, but I'm also really glad that I, that I had it and that it happened. And I would, I would recommend getting fired to everybody, not just anyone. I mean, everyone, I think everyone should wait tables. So you were talking about other jobs that I did waited tables. Um, I sold jeans in a street market in New York for a week. I, uh, worked at a coffee shop, worked at the body shop, the little hair and, you know, shampoo-y kind of store. Um, I've, I've done a lot of jobs. Um, let's see, done a lot of different massage jobs, certainly, um, a number of different counseling jobs. But anytime a corporate thing came my way, this feeling came inside, and I, I, I know that my time is limited. And I really recommend, you know, learning about oneself. Like, find out when you are in that place of, like, when you start to not care, when you start to cut corners, when you start to sneak out, when you start to like do, you know, like not totally above board, when you're not living by your own morals and your own integrity, it's a good sign that your time is limited in a place. <laughs> I think it's easy looking back, but in the moment it's tough. So it's like, hopefully young people know it that is. it's okay to fail. There's a re there's a resource. I, I don't remember who it is, but recommended a failure oh. journal to catalog all the learning experiences you've been through, but at the time they felt pretty debilitating. I'm sure. Um, I need to track down that name and credit them, but it's like, a, it's an excellent idea. idea. I love that idea. There's also, there's a book called it's, it's, Proof that I was checking out recently in it. And it, it's about like, um, you know, go deliberately do things that you know, you are going to get rejected from do it, you know, like, 
ask a random stranger for a thousand dollars or, you know what I mean? Like a whole, he, I think he probably has lists, but it's like the more resiliency you can cultivate through experiences like that, the more you can a not take things personally, you know, B keep trying, even when, you know, things aren't going your way, reach outside your comfort zone to, to do things you've never done before. Um, voiceovers did that voiceovers for radio. Um, <laughs> Thinking about more jobs, <laughs> you know, they just, they come, there's been a lot. Tina Seelig's a Stanford professor and I heard, I read her book, uh, what I wish I knew mm. when I was 20 and I learned a lot from that at what, 23, mm. 24, when I read it, she recommends the failure resume of like detail, everything you've messed up at or went, went wrong with, cause it's super beneficial. And like, I mean, not that you're going to give it to an employer, but it's for your own yeah. benefit of like oh, wow, I've messed up a lot and I've benefited from probably most of those mistakes. Like everything is mostly survivable. And I survivable. think, you know, state of so. mind matters when you're doing something like that, you know, um, because I think yeah. I really, I love the idea of a failure journal. And I'm thinking, you know, that's the kind of thing to do when you're, you know, when you're in that curious state of mind. But if you're in an anxious state of mind or a, or a, or a, you know, feeling not so good about yourself state of mind, I would not recommend the failure journal in that moment. You know, not necessarily. Maybe. On the other hand, I don't know. Sometimes you got to dive down deep into the darkness in order to swim up to the top. So know, you know, know thyself in that kind of situation. But at the same time, I don't know. If you really are able to, you know, instead of just list a category of failures, here's why I suck. I do, you know, yes, I failed, but here is something that came, you know, the, it need, it should be like a two column journal, <laughs> the failure and the benefit from the failure, you know, the failure and the lesson. Yeah. You don't want to read it and be like, oh, wow, mm -hmm. all I am is a failure. Like that's the wrong yeah. takeaway yeah. from this or exercise. You feel that way as you're doing it, you know, that too. We, we talked a little bit about massage in this conversation thus far. Um, you mentioned mm -hmm. yoga was another way you're spending your time. Did they kind of coincide at the same time? How did yoga then become a piece yeah, of your, yoga your happened, life? Um, my mom took me to a class when I was like in my early 20s and I hated it and loved it and kind of did it on and off periodically for a number of years. And then when I moved to Arizona, started going to a studio that I liked and it just caught me, you know, it just caught me. It like got its little hooks in me and pulled and every minute more of it I did, I loved. And all I wanted to do was just do as much yoga as I possibly could. And so the only ways that I could see to do that were like, it wasn't yoga teacher training at the time. It was an immersion. And that I was like, yes, that's what I want. I want to sink into yoga and just do as much of it as I can. And then there was just this sort of path that people kept following. They're like, okay, are you doing teacher training? And I'm like, no, I don't want to do teacher training. I just like doing yoga. I want to do a whole lot of yoga, you know? And they're like, well, come do teacher training. I'm like, well, if it gets me to do a whole lot of yoga, then fine, I'll do the stupid teacher training. And then at that point, I just remember thinking, I love this so much and I want to share it with people and I want to be, I want to be like a window into everything that I've learned and I've experienced, you know? So I just want to like show people like, check this out, see what that experience is like. Isn't it amazing? It's totally transformative. I imagine this is probably what missionaries feel like. And it gives me a little bit of more empathy for missionaries because I often find them like, how presumptuous of you. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm not knocking on people's doors and being like, come do yoga. <laughs> I'm just there, you know, I'm there. You wanna come do yoga? 
I'll, I'll, you know, see if you like the window that, you know, through my window, because there's a whole bunch of different ones to look through. And uh, yeah, it's still, it's just a tremendous joy. Teaching yoga is like, oh, it's as good for me as, you know, maybe even better for me than it is for the people I teach. It's just good for my heart and my soul and my body and like everything. I love it. I can yeah. tell you're passionate about it, um, but it sounds like almost random or happenstance that you were dragged to a class and fell in love. Like yeah. you got exposure to something that was outside your, your normal sphere of how you spend your time. And you're like, whoa, this is actually, it's not an unusual story, honestly. You know, when you look at kind of the bios and hear the stories of a number of people who teach yoga, it'll be like, you know, so-and-so took me to a class or my doctor told me that I should da 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 or I broke my something and I was trying to heal from it, you know, but it wasn't ever like, well, sometimes, sometimes somebody's like, I just heard about this spiritual thing and I was deeply drawn to it. But I mean, I had certainly heard about it in college and thought that sounds like the kind of thing that I would probably like, but I just never did anything about it until, until, yeah, until my mom made me. And then the counseling stuff just came about because the more that I taught yoga and the more that I was doing massage, the more people, you know, open up and empty themselves out. And, uh, and I just really wanted to feel competent and capable to hold space for that. To the outside observer, it might not seem like a natural fit, but in those types of interactions, Very. they're pretty intimate. Like if you're seeing the, the same, um, personal trainer, Pilates instructor, ballroom get, dance instructor, yeah. yogi, oh, tre it's a personal, personal connection. connection. And some quite frequently people will spill all kinds of things and, and it's beautiful and you want to honor that, you know, I mean, the business that my boyfriend and I are putting together, we were just acknowledging that last night. I mean, that's what the business is. It's like, we are there to help people on all levels. We understand that the relationship that you cultivate with, you know, your in your, in the fitness world, for example, tends to get pretty personal. And we want you to know, like, we are capable of handling this. Like we're, we're trained, we're skilled and we're ready you know, to, to take whatever you've got, you know, and help you with it. Um, so yeah, it's pretty exciting doing that stuff. I was curious if you could talk about some of the things specific to massage and yoga, some of the things you like about doing both professionally, and then also the flip side, some of the things you might not like, or some of the things you might have to just like deal with. There's so much to like. So that's one of the really good things, you know, I mean, I remind myself frequently that I really like what I do because sometimes I get tired, you know, I get tired, physically tired, emotionally tired. And I think when we get in that place, we can start to think negatively about whatever it is that we're doing. And I have to kind of like snap out of it and remind myself that I love, like, I love the immediate gratification. <laughs> you know, you get to see a change like virtually immediately. Um, I love helping people learn about themselves. It's so exciting to watch them be like, oh, I didn't even know. I didn't even know I had that muscle or I didn't even know I could do this thing or I didn't know I could do this thing without hurting, which is such a great gift to be able to share with people. They'll come in and they'll say, I don't know if you're going to be able to help me. I can't move my arm past this point. And I love it when people come into me with that stuff but a good portion of it is overcoming their belief that they can't be helped or that things can't be better, which is also something I really like about my job. I like, 
I like the process of helping people overcome the beliefs that they have about what's possible and what's not possible. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's a real joy. I love being in charge of my schedule. I love not having to answer to anybody. <laughs> I love that there aren't a whole lot of hoops to jump through. I mean, there's some continuing ed stuff you need to do for, uh, for to keep a massage license. And, um, and I get creative with that because I'm over the same like 10 classes. So I'm weaving in what I like and what I don't like. What I don't like is there's the same 10 damn classes for continuing ed in massage. And I'm like, I've been doing this for a long time now. I've taken them. And also as far as teaching yoga goes, it's like, oh, there's always more to learn with yoga. It just is an ever deepening practice. So it's so exciting to incorporate new information and new practices. Um, and again, to watch people light up when I pass that on to them. It doesn't always happen, but it happens a lot when I teach that they'll be just like this dawn. It's so exciting to watch somebody go, oh, it's just wonderful. It's wonderful to share that with people. Um, again, the hardness, I mean, it's unpredictable. You know, you can't guarantee that you're going to make the same amount of money from one week to the next. Um, you have to really get okay with the idea of, you know, of stepping out of that safety zone of, you know, the 40 hour a week, work week, the benefits, the, all that kind of stuff in terms of, I mean, I take care of my health with usually with alternative health things, which aren't paid for by insurance anyway. So it doesn't matter to me that I pay for them out of pocket because I would be anyway. Um, I think of, you know, most of my well-being is preventative, but if you're, you know, it's, it's hard to have to take on those responsibilities yourself to not have, you know, daddy corporation doing that for you <laughs> and making the decisions about the stuff that really matters to you and doesn't. It's hard to be responsible. It's hard to purposely take money that you're sitting there with cash in your hand and like put it in your savings account. <laughs> um, it's, but it's, you know, it just takes time and practice, but you know, those are difficult things. I wouldn't say I dislike them. I would just say they're hard. Um, the physical, again, the physical exhaustion is kind of, it's tough. You can phone it in. It's possible, but I don't feel very good about myself when I do that. And, um, and I don't love the pay for play aspect of it. I like things that have returns on them, you know, so it's not like I do a massage and then I keep getting paid for doing the massage. <laughs> That's it. You did the thing, you got the money, it's over. So for folks, I think that do any kind of service oriented, appointment oriented, class oriented kind of living, multiple streams of income is like the name of the game. You know, finding little bits of reoccurring um, money that can come your way, whether it's by making a video that people download or writing an ebook or, um, you know, some other little thing that you do. I mean, I have like, I have a lot. I have like probably six or seven different ways that I make money. I mean, when COVID came, that was whew, it's a little bit of a kick in the ass in a way. Because I was like, I touch people for a living. I'm one foot away from right. their face. What are we going to do? Um, so again, the things, you know, the uncertainty, I would say, if I had to say one word, uncertainty is what I don't like. What I do like is freedom. 
that's the trade-off. A lot of people draw a salary or a stable paycheck from a corporate job, but they also don't have the freedom or the luxury to make their own schedule often. But yeah, kind of like you talked about working a bunch of corporate jobs and not working, like this is clearly the, the right path for you and uh, has been for a while. It really has, I know. If you could go back in time and give your past self advice at like 18, 21, what do you think you'd say? I mean, I would love to say to that person, don't concentrate so much on like getting the next accomplishment and, um, you know, checking all the boxes off, rushing, rushing to the next step, rushing to this, I don't know, illusory finish line that doesn't really exist. Um, I don't think I would listen. <laughs> I, I, I would also love to tell myself you actually really do have the freedom to choose a lot more than you think you do. And again, I still probably wouldn't believe myself because I'd be like, I have student loans to pay. I have this, I have that, you know? So I guess the other advice that I would give to myself then is to learn how to downregulate my freak out response. I think I might've listened to that. I might've actually said, oh, how do I do that? You know? <laughs> and maybe started to listen because it's like when, when I'm in a different state of mind, the whole world seems different. You know, my fears don't seem as big or as immediate and, uh, and I can look at things from a much broader perspective. So I think that's probably, that one would work. That's the other piece of advice I just remembered. I would tell myself to veer away from drama I would totally do that. I'd be like, you know, if something feels huge, whether it makes you angry or like crazy excited or super like walk, <laughs> go, no, you know, don't run towards that kind of try to, I mean, you can see it. It's right there. You don't have to run away, but just don't run towards it. Tanya, this has been a really helpful conversation. If someone wanted to learn more about you or follow what you're yeah. up to, where could they go to learn well, let's more? Let's see. Um, <laughs> my Facebook page, <laughs> my Instagram account at 10 years, 12, those usually the Instagram, I usually keep up pretty well with montressage.com. My, my current website will have, you know, upcoming things and, um, you know, feel free to share my contact information if anybody wants it. <laughs> cool. I'll put some info in the show notes for, for cool. people. So Tanya, really appreciate the time. It's been a pleasure yeah, to chat. Too, man.